0: Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family.
1: No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voywear prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.
0: Step into the world
1: of power.
0: Loyalty
1: No purchase necessary. BGW Group. Boyware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey everyone.
2: Welcome to Thesis on Joan. I'm Holly. They, them. I'm Megan. She, her. Thesis on Joan is a podcast dedicated to amplifying voices from the LGBTQ plus community in the New York performing arts scene and examining the industry from a queer perspective. Join fan queers and theater professionals, me and Holly, as we sit down with groundbreaking theater folk from Brooklyn Cabaret performers to people backstage and on Broadway. For many queers, theater has been an escape. This podcast looks to have open conversations on where we've come from and where we're headed as a community while queering the canon along the way. So
1: we know there's a lot going on in the world and it is kind of a scary and anxious time for a lot of folks, especially LGBTQ plus folks. Um, so we just wanted to say we hope you're hanging in there. Uh, we're with you and we support you. Uh, and we are thinking about what we can do to take action right now and make sure uh, we're protecting our rights and the folks that we care about uh, and folks who are, uh, you know, deliberately being attacked right now.
2: So we have some thoughts, some ideas on what you can do, and we'd love to hear from you as well on um, ways that we can help support each other. But first up, It's impossible to have missed it. There's an election coming up on November 3rd. So just a reminder, I know we probably have these dates like tattooed on the back of our hands, but registration deadlines for online mail and in-person voting for New York State is October 9th. And we encourage you to check your own state's uh, regulations.
1: Absentee ballot deadlines are also coming up. You need to request your absentee ballot by October 27th, return it by the mail postmarked by November 3rd
2: or return it in person by November 3rd by 9 p.m. And vote early. I know you've heard it a million times, but we need every vote to count in this election. So October 24th through November 1st are your voting uh, parameters for New York States. But dates and hours vary based on where you live. So please take a look at that. And also a side note for New York State voters, please vote for the working party's entry for Biden so that they are able to keep their spot on the ballot in the future.
1: And if you're looking for other candidates to support, uh, we wanted to shout out again, Jamie Harrison, who's running in South Carolina and who's running for Lindsey Graham's seat. Donate with your time, your money. Uh, even if you don't live in South Carolina, he could use your support.
2: Another close Senate race is here in Arizona, where I'm visiting my parents. Mark Kelly is looking to defeat Martha McSally. Mark Kelly could be seated as early as November 30th, which would be key in our Supreme Court decision making. So if you know folks in Arizona, please encourage them to check out Mark Kelly and do what you can to support his campaign.
1: And finally, we want to shout out actions to Demand Justice for Breonna Taylor. You can donate to the Louisville Community Bail Fund.
2: And you can also call to Demand Justice for Breonna. We'll put more information of talking points and numbers you can contact in the show notes. Please check those out and do what you can to support.
1: We know it's a lot, but we also know that there is a lot on the line. So, you know, choose what you can and do what's possible for you right now. And, you know, we're thinking of all of you and sending you our love.
2: We're stronger together, queers. We can get through this.
1: And now for something pretty different. We are really so excited to share this interview today with Azure
2: D. Osborne Lee. We had such a fun time talking to Azure like, thankfully for myself, the part where I thirstily asked Azure to join our book club did not make the final cut of this episode because it got cut off. <laughs> but rest assured, queers, it, it, it did happen. Um, but please enjoy our conversation about books, about being a black trans theater creator and so much more.
1: Today, we're sitting down with Azure D. Osborne Lee.
2: Azure D. Osborne Lee is an award-winning black queer theater maker from south of the Mason-Dixon line. He holds an M.A. in advanced theater practice from Royal Center School of Speech and Drama, as well as an M.A. in women's and gender studies, and a B.A. in English and Spanish from the University of Texas at Austin. Azure's full-length play, Crooked Parts, will be published in the forthcoming anthology, the Methune Drama Book of Trans Plays. His full-length play, Mirrors, received its world premiere, Produced by Parody Productions at Next Door at New York Theatre Workshop, February 29th through March 22nd, 2020. Unfortunately, this production closed early due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Azure is the founder of Roots and River Productions, recipient of Parody Productions' 2018 Annual Commission, winner of Downtown Urban Art Festival's 2018 Best Play Award, and the 2015 Mario Frati Fred Newman Political Play Contest. Welcome to the podcast, Azure. So excited to have you.
3: Thanks. I'm excited to be here.
2: We usually start asking uh, our guests if you
1: could do your name, your pronouns one more time, and how, whatever you want to share of how you identify.
3: Uh, sure. So my name's Azure. My pronouns are he and they. Um, yeah, I'm a Black, queer, trans theater maker from, yeah. I say, south of the Mason-Dixon line. I grew up in Tennessee and Texas, um, but I live in Brooklyn now.
2: So, Azure, I think one of the reasons that Holly and I were so excited to talk to you is we had tickets in hand for March 12th for the Queer Night of Mirrors. And we were texting all day about, like, what's going to happen. Really hope we're going to be able to see this show. Um, So for us and for everyone else who's supposed to join that night, can you tell us a little bit more about Mirrors and the premise for the show? Sure. So the premise
3: of Mirrors is that... um... There's a teenage girl named Alma Jean Pearson. She's 17 and she has just found her mother dead in the bathtub. Um, and so she calls the emergency number that her mother has left and she doesn't know who's on the other end of the line. But on the other end of the line is this woman named Bird Wilson who lives uh, a few towns over and she is the town pariah. So she has to go live with this woman while they um, bury her mother and she doesn't really know the nature of that woman's relationship with her mother. So they're, you know, circling each other, trying to figure out like, what do you know? Like what's going on here? Mm -hmm. while Navigating their grief. Hmm.
1: And and for us and for all the other queers who had tickets for that night, what was it like for you to get the news that the show was closing on that day?
3: Oh, it was devastating. You know, the, the somewhat funny thing, um, dramatic irony (laughs) <laughs> is that I had, you know, I was getting all these text messages We were trying to figure out if the show was going to go on. I went into therapy, you know, and then I came out and as soon as I got out of therapy, I pulled my phone out of my pocket and it said, your run's canceled. And I was like, what?
2: Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I actually
3: went to the grocery store and just kind of like completely <laughs> like disconnected. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, or it's just like, I need pasta. And so I went... <laughs> Bought a bunch of ravioli and like wine and kind of zoned out for a couple of weeks.
2: Oh my gosh, if I can count the number of times I've had ravioli and pierogies over the past like five or six months. Yeah. It's been like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. All dumplings. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I guess it was just a follow-up to that too, like do you feel like the queer audience had had found the show yet? Or was that kind of like the night that you were hoping to have that? connect
3: you know i actually was struggling because i felt like because it was at new york theater workshop um there was a lot of like there were a lot of people coming to see the show who didn't necessarily connect with the show because of its content but were interested because of the venue and so i felt like the response that i was getting especially from some of the people reviewing the show they really just didn't connect with the content you know um, In some cases, I was just like, well, it seems like it was an all black cast, um, you know, so <laughs> it's in some cases I felt like, well, you can't really feel black people's pain or like you don't really understand like what it is to like live a queer life or a queer life in the South. Um, and so that was a real struggle for me. So I was really excited for Queer Night because I felt like I really needed that, uh, you know. Um, what I was telling myself was I really need to connect with my target audience because there's just all this sort of static going on and, and I'm not really sure how to feel about how the production is going. So it was really sad for me to have it canceled on the day that my, uh, my fellow queers were coming through.
2: Sad for us too, not yeah. nearly to the same extent, but also just just so depressing. Um, and Mirrors you'd worked on for 10 years before it was at New York Theatre Workshop. Can you tell us a little bit about your process of kind of revisiting and revising that work? Is it a work you think will ever be like frozen or you think it's in a constant state of change?
3: Well, the funny thing is I think Mirrors was the most complete play that I ever wrote. It was my first full-length play and because of that, I took a lot of care when I wrote it. It's sort of like, I don't know if this happens to you, but like the first time you bake a recipe, you're just like trying to follow every step exactly. And I feel like I was just very careful with, um, because I didn't know what I was doing doing really at the time. Um, I had gotten this commission to write this full length play. I got it from Freedom Train Productions. And um, I actually spent half of the summer acting because i um i was in a show in austin texas so i spent half of the summer acting and then as soon as that finished that show finished i was like oh crap i have to finish this play (laughs) i don't really know what i'm doing so um i was like uh you know really trying to take a long time (laughs) with the characters let them speak and um yeah uh I finished it and I didn't really know what to think of it. I got positive feedback from um, Oren Squire, who was the director of new play development at Freedom Train Productions. And the little tiny handful of people who came to the first reading, because I was just like a baby in New York City. I just moved there in 2009. And um, gosh, you know, the way that I think queers especially connect with each other via the internet and um, technology is like ever evolving. So it's funny if you think back to 2009, it's like Queer Exchange didn't exist yet, you know, which is this enormous group on Facebook, which I'm actually the admin of now um, through circumstances. So I'm the owner (laughs) of that group. But um, (laughs) but all the ways that like we sort of used to, you know, connect with each other now didn't exist in 2009. So it's just like a handful of people. Um, and it was really well received. And then I kind of just, Oh, I went to drama school. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I went to London. Um, and was there for about a year and I came back and then I founded Roots and River Productions. So I just had a lot going on and I kept writing. Um, and I kind of just wrote Mirrors Off for a while as like my first play. Um, you know, I feel like every, like every new baby gets like all the attention. Right. So then you're like, this is the greatest thing. Um, (laughs) But I went to the Lambda literary retreat with Robert O'Hara and um, got, I got a good like lecture about my like weirdo, my new weirdo plays. He was like, what is this? I don't even know what this is. Like (laughs) you need to come (laughs) home with something that like is more understandable. And so that um because I consider myself to be an experimental maker so like with each play I think I try to push the boundaries of theater more. So that really pushed me to go back and look at mirrors and start submitting that, which is sort of my most quote unquote normal play. Uh, Um and then people were really into it and I was like, okay, I wrote this 10 years ago. So um I did make some small cuts and some revisions, but for the most part it is the play that it was when I wrote it in 2010.
1: Wow. Uh, so jumping over to one of your less normal plays, uh, you describe your work Glass as a must-see for folks who love Blackness, sci-fi, fantasy, and new theater. Can you tell us a little bit about your relationship with sci-fi and fantasy and creating worlds for Black folks in sci-fi and fantasy?
3: Sure, yeah. Actually, the funny thing is Glass was the play that I was trying to pitch to Robert O'Hara, and he was like, what's it like? <laughs> um, I was like, well, it's not like anything I can think of, like, it's, it's new. Um, and he was like, yeah, I don't understand that. Like, you have to, something, you know, like, you have to be able to kind of Hollywood pitch it in order to convince producers to invest their money. Um, and I eventually I had to say, fair enough. Okay, fair enough. So, um, my relationship to sci-fi fantasy, you know, I was just like a weird kid. I actually called my mom. This year and asked her, I was like, did you think that I was strange as a child? And she was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but like, you know, I loved you and was just like, well, let's see like what adventure we're on today. Like what's Azure? <laughs> um, so my parents are scientists. My dad in particular is a chemical engineer. Um, he has a PhD in chemical engineering. And so I grew up or like going to his like dungeons and dragons um tournaments,
2: love you know, that. He oh, tournaments
3: and like he would make us read the books that he was reading to him in the car. So um because of that I started reading Robert Jordan novels like in elementary school. So then I was carrying them around on the playground. And People were like, that's really weird. Why are you reading a thousand page core novel? <laughs> <laughs>
1: So you would like read these sci-fi novels to your dad in the car, you're like the original Audible. Yeah,
3: basically. He was like, You're gonna read these to me. Um, and then <laughs> he'd make both me my brother and I do it, but I was a stronger reader, you know. Um and I, I think also like a drama kid at heart. So I was just like, No, no, let me do it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I just like really loved like I loved sci-fi and fantasy and then I got into um, historical fiction um, I'm really into like serial like books like I know a lot of people are into the babysitters club I never really got into them I got into the girls of Canby Hall which is like also weird that. girls who went to a boarding school and like they're just like we all live together and we're like diverse and like are in a boarding high school what <laughs> Who reads this book? Me. Um, so yeah, today I read N.K. Jemison, which is just so like amazing and like I love it because the you know the worlds that I grew up reading were all just very white, you know, or white coded, and so it's amazing now to have this like black woman, you know, who's taking over the like speculative fiction world, and her characters are black, like they're unapologetically black. You know that they're black. Um, and so that's been really inspiring for me. I also listen to Podcastle and, um, Escape Pod, which are all part of the same, uh, unit of, of, uh, podcasts. So it's like sci-fi and fantasy
1: awesome i just read the city we became and i loved it so much oh yeah
3: i have that on audiobooks so i've been listening to that but i I've, I've been uh indoctrinating my family like sneaking them so i started my mom on the uh the broken earth trilogy and i started mm-hmm. my brother on the hundred thousand kingdoms of uh, the inheritance trilogy because like they have different tastes so but they're all going to meet in the middle that's my plan <laughs>
2: I love that, like, the whole fam has this sci fi fantasy, like, connect, though. I don't think anyone in my family I could convince to read a sci fi book. That's awesome. Well,
3: we're readers. And the the thing is, I think it's one thing to recommend a book to someone, and it's another thing to give a book to someone and just kind Mm -hmm. of let it sit. And I think, like, also because we're in quarantine, my brother is actually in jail right now. So, you know, he reads whatever anybody sends him. So I try to send him good stuff. Um, But I think that, similarly, like, people are in their house houses, and, like, I don't know about you, I'm trying to, like, read what's on my bookcase. Like, I purposefully pulled the fattest book off of my bookcase that I had not read and was like, this is happening. (laughs) What was the book? Oh, goodness. What is it? Uh, It's the book that The Expanse, The Expanse on the sci-fi channel is based on. I can't remember what the name of this particular book is, but I did feel a little bit tricked because it's an enormous series. You know, I read like the whole book and I was like, wait a minute, this is just like the first battle. How many books are (laughs) in this series? How dare you? Wow. So, yeah. But the cool thing is my dad sent it to my brother. So, and my dad has read it. So a lot of times we can have these conversations about books. So sometimes I'll read things just so we can like have, like family chats about like the different books that we're reading.
1: I love that. That's a really good tactic of like giving your family all the different N.K. Jemisin books too. And then hopefully they'll like encourage each other to read all of them.
3: Yeah. You know, one of my most cherished memories of my family is when um, Hurricane Ike came through Houston. I was living in Houston, Texas at the time. And my brother was living somewhere um, I was living in my own apartment and then my parents were in their house. So I encouraged my brother to come stay with me during the hurricane. Um, but then I realized that <laughs> he eats way more food than I do. And <laughs>
1: after like two days,
3: I was like, okay, I don't have any more groceries. Like, we have to go to the parents' house. Like, this is not happening. Um, but my mom is like famous for. Keeping food stocked. She has a deep freezer. She loves nothing more than to go grocery shopping and like find oh. good deals. So I had to, like, we picked our way across the city and we had to turn back a lot because like floods and down trees. Wow. We finally made it there. The power was out. Um, and we all just kind of like were in the living room. So for entertainment, I was like, I know we shall listen to a podcast on my phone of a story that I have like picked out. So We were all just, like, laying on the floor surrounding the coffee table listening to a story, you know, from my phone. And then as the food defrosted more, like, my mom decided to just start grilling all the meats. (laughs) 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 Uh, I feel like that was, like, low-key preparation for 2020.
2: It's such a good visual, too, of just, (laughs) (laughs) just pulling giant slabs of meat out of the deep freeze as you're listening to a podcast
3: have a bunch of meat in the freezer and you're like then the power goes out like eventually you know like a mom who keeps that much food she's not just gonna throw it out no she's just like i'm going to cook all these meats and you're going to ingest them (laughs) good person to quarantine yeah exactly um Mm -hmm. so yeah
2: Oh, man. I feel I just want to keep talking about books, but I feel like I have to veer back in. Holly and I are in a book club together and it's like we could probably just talk for a half hour about that. Um, but yeah, so getting back to theater. So what was it like when you found out you were on the Kilroy's list this year? Oh, I mean, that
3: was amazing. I've been like wanting to be on the Kilroy's list like every every year I check it and I'm like, hmm. Mm. Not yet. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so that was amazing, um, you know, to be included. And I really appreciate that they were taking the time to recognize all of these productions um, that were canceled or interrupted because of the COVID outbreak. Um, Anybody who's put up a production knows how much time, you know, effort energy, money, but like also, there's this thing about theater that really involves like spirit, you know? Um, people put so much of their spirit into the work of theater. And like, there's this thing where like theater kind of gives it back, right? Like when it goes up and like, you know, it, you're like, it's happening and you see your like work and it like comes back to you. It's like this circular sort of like energetic exchange. But when the work gets cut off early, um, I think that that energy doesn't get to return to the artists in the way that we're accustomed to. And, um, yeah, it's really devastating. So to find different ways to recognize people and the work that w- they were doing and like have the work continue, um, I think is really lovely. So I'm very appreciative to the Killaroys for, for doing this this year.
1: Yeah. And congratulations on that too. That's awesome. congrats. Uh, So you co-founded Roots and River Productions based on the many challenges you faced as a working artist in New York. Uh, Can you tell us a little more about those challenges and ideally what support systems you'd like to see for queer artists?
3: Sure. Um, I like to consider myself a bit of a like front runner, you know, in a lot of ways. I mean, and I don't say that in a bragging way because in a lot of ways that's very frustrating, you know, like creating something new or like, you know, being out there by yourself (laughs) can be really lonely. Mm -hmm. Um, and so as a like black queer artist, just like finding people to connect with once I got to the big city, um, was difficult, you know, I had this internship with Freedom Train Productions, which was amazing, and I met a lot of really amazing artists through there, but I will say that I was significantly younger than the people who were working on it. Almost everybody was 33 for some reason, and I was 24, um, you know, and it's just like, now that I'm 35, it's just like, yep, that's a big age difference, <laughs> you know, like, just kind of like being in your mid-20s is is different, you know? Um, and so like finding people who are supportive and are like down to like make things, but also like have generative like sleepovers um, or whatever, that that was something that I didn't receive. But like when I was at school in London, I had met all these younger black queer artists who were like, "How do I art after I graduate from school?" <laughs> um, and even though at the time, well, I guess when I graduated from central, I was, um, 26, but I graduated from college when I was 20 because like, that's what, I from. <laughs> just cause I was, I'm an overachiever in high school and like kind of always. So, um, I powered through undergrad in three years and I was young for my age. I mean, for my grade when I came in. So I came out at 20 in like 2005. Like, this is really wow! like oh And I was like, what is happening? Everyone told me, <laughs> go to college, and I would get a job. And that was, not, <laughs> that was not the case. And then hilarity ensued. So I feel like I was able to just kind of like take these artists under my wing and say like, okay, keep making work. One of the things I've noticed is that when people come out of undergrad, a lot of times it's like coming straight out the womb. Like you just don't. It's the first time you're in an uncharted part of your life. And you're just like, what is happening? <laughs> and a lot of times people stop making work because they're just trying to figure out how to pay their bills. Um, so, yeah, just like being around and like connecting them to each other and like resources in all in one place is what I did.
1: Yeah, awesome. And so what's next for Roots and River Productions? So
3: Roots and River Productions, now we're more of a producing body. When I first created the company, we were more of a mentorship body. And we had two cycles of mentorship. I think that was really, um, you know, that's what we needed to happen. And then (laughs) I think like anybody who's ever created something or like a company that's needed to pivot, it can be really difficult. But um, what I realized was that I wasn't feeding enough energy into my own work as an artist uh, and that just needed to happen you know, um, I was also going through my Saturn return and like, like a gnarly sort of like queer breakup and so I actually ended up like pack, like buying a Volvo and like packing it full of stuff and driving it across the country in a really dramatic manner uh, see crooked parts that's like my background uh, and when I came back I realized that yeah, um, I needed the company to be something that supported my work as an artist. And, um, and like, all my mentees that kind of graduated, you know, like, they either went on to grad school or, like, were making work and gone on to residencies or, like, in other ways that kind of stepped away from the company. Um, and I realized, like, yeah, okay, it, that has served as, its function. So now we produce the work of Black, queer, and trans artists primarily theater, but, um, I love a cross sort of like a cross disciplinary, um, collaboration. So, yeah, we've got some core artists and, um, one of the things that Roots and River Productions does do is kind of step in and make sure that everybody is being appropriately compensated for work. Um, as we know, like not all projects, (laughs) are offering appropriate compensation. And so, totally. yeah, it exists in a support capacity like that. But also, you know, we produce workshop productions and readings and, and whatnot.
1: Well, So you do that advocacy work for productions outside of Roots and River? Well, yeah. So
3: basically, um, yeah, I make sure that if I'm working on a project, I don't ask people to work for free, basically, full stop. So if I believe that a project is in line with sort of like what needs to be happening, but they don't necessarily have the budget or I can't pull the resource from there. I will pull it from Roots and River Productions and make sure that, you know, the artists are getting the support that they need because uh, above all, I believe in supporting um, artists. And that's one of the reasons why I have so many collaborators these days, you know, like I really do have, Oh, tons of artists who I could, you know, call upon to work with me, and they're they're totally down because they know that I'm not going to be like, "Hey, how about this pack of salty crackers?" You know, <laughs> 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 they get some stipend.
2: And speaking of your collaborators and and the artists you've been working with, um, what kind of queer theater representation do you want to see? And it sounds like that you're trying to help create.
3: Um, yeah, I want to see queer theater representation that looks like my world, you know, like that looks like the, I mean, the people I spend time with, like I think as a queer person, you know, you spend time with like lots of trans people and like people of color and like other queer folks who have like rad ideas and like come from different backgrounds. And um, it's really disappointing to me when I go see work Um on stages that doesn't sort of connect with that, you know? Like, I don't think that every single production needs to be that, but if it's going to be my work, then that's what it's going to be. I also completely believe in body diversity, right? So (laughs) it is a requirement. Like, you're not going to come around here and make my work look like some sort of weird cookie-cutter, like, Hollywood thing that's happening. (laughs) Like, we're going to have people of, like, different genders and, like, different, like, body sizes and, like, different abilities, et cetera, et cetera. And, like, yes, like, fat people get to be, like, the love interests. And, like, um, I think that's one of the most powerful things about Mirrors is that, like, you know, we've got this, like, fat butch lesbian who's, like, the love interest, you know? She's got her girlfriend. She's got her ex-girlfriend. It's, like, my lesbian love triangle, like, ghost play. <laughs> Um,
2: Uh, Give me all of that I know I'm getting more sad we didn't see it
3: Well you know um, I am reminding myself That like life does go on And there are like other possibilities And I'm really happy that um, Crooked Parts had a reading Like that was really you know I had a couple of readings Not too long after Mirrors closed um, One for The Beast of Warren, and one for Crooked Parts And those were really healing for me. Um, But yeah, in my world, like there are always trans people just like there, you know, (laughs) like around. Um, Straight people are there too. I think that, um, (laughs) but they're the straight people who are, who are down, you know, like they don't have to know everything already, but they have to have an open spirit, you know, and like be down to learn. Um, what will get you fired is, you know, (laughs) having some sort of prejudice or just like not being ready. Right. Um, because it's just like, I mean, I am a trans person, so (laughs) there are going to be more trans people working. So with me, so if you can't deal with that, then this isn't the right space for you. Uh,
1: yeah, I wish that was every space, right? But I think the the great thing
3: for straight people is, first of all, their like minds get expanded. Like they learn all sorts of stuff, like including like tea, like gossip. They learn like all sorts of stuff that they wouldn't into. You know? <laughs> um, but also, they get to be themselves, like completely and wholly themselves, in a way that like they wouldn't necessarily get to be, in you know, just like a heteronormative space. And I think for for them, that's a that's a blessing, you know. Um, And I, yeah, most of my work, my plays are all black, you know, or have lots of people of color and that's really healing for everybody who's involved. So.
1: And kind of going back to your origins, like when did you, or why did you start writing and what stories were you interested in telling when you started?
3: Um, So I knew that I wanted to move to New York city for sure. When I finished um, Sharon Bridgeforce Delta Dandy in Austin, Texas, in 2008, 2009. Um, you know, then I kind of came to the dramatic realization that it's like, okay, you know, Sharon's in, in New York City, like, uh, Baraka de is in New York City, Helga Davis is in New York City, Daniel Alexander Jones is moving there. I need to be there too. Um, you know, I need to be where the artists are. And so I very dramatically announced this at my mom's birthday, like, <laughs> in the way that like theater people have where you're just like, <laughs> it's amazing. Oh, wow. My parents were like, "What are you doing?" Um <laughs> so, I had an inkling that I wanted to write, but I didn't really know what I was doing then. Um I had, was more of a poet then. Um and when I moved to New York City, I had gotten this internship with Freedom Train Productions and One of the perks was that I got automatic admission to their playwriting workshop. So I had a brief existential crisis, you know, like thought, oh, everybody's going to know I'm a fake. Oh, no. Uh, (laughs) I was like, okay, fool, just like go. Not that deep. Um, (laughs) And I found myself writing um, in response to these prompts and I liked it. At the same time, I was trying to sort of get into the groove of being an actor in New York City, and I hated it. It didn't feel healthy for me. Um, I think one of the important things about being an actor is knowing what your look is, and I kind of just knew my look was, like, (laughs) was a hard sell, you know? Like, at the time, I was living my life as a woman, but, like, I also just have this baby face. I mean, even now I have a baby face. Like, I get guarded for drinks, (laughs) but then jeez, I look at pictures of myself in my 20s and I'm like, oh my God, I look so young, but I'm really <laughs> fat, but I also am not like a gospel singer, you know, because like you can be fat and black, but only if you like sing like Aretha Franklin. And if you don't do that, then we don't really know what to do with you. Um, mm-hmm. So I just kind of realized that that was toxic for me and I wanted to find a different way to be in theater. Um. My wish when I moved to New York City was to have a life in the theater. When I moved to New York City, I realized that that was not nearly specific enough. So, <laughs> um, but I started writing, and I found like I found that it felt good, and I wanted to keep doing that. So I focused on writing, and um, and I will say that it allowed me to stay in the theater, especially as I transitioned. Um, you know, and there was still a place for me.
2: So as I was doing some internet stalking on you in a Daily Beast article, you said that a season is more than enough time to make a change in a major arts organization. So we'd be curious to hear what steps towards change you're most anxious to see enacted by these organizations.
3: You know, I'm kind of cackling internally because I've seen some articles about like, Oh, with like changes coming, like people are stepping down, people are getting fired. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I've been saying the whole time. So long you're inspired. Like if you really <laughs> want to make a change, then you need to give me your job. You know, um, I'm an arts administrator. I have been an arts administrator for many years. I have the temperament of an administrator for sure. I'm a Virgo. Um, <laughs> but I also have the resume to back it up. Thank you very much. And um, so I think a lot of the times, like, when people, when you bring things up and you're like, talking about diversity, people kind of assume that you don't know what you're talking about. Um, you know, it's just like, well, you don't understand about budgets. And I'm like, I understand that it's currently FY21, and uh, you said you were gonna make a change, and you're like, now it's FY21 and you can do that. You know, so, um, because ultimately, it's all about where you, your budget, right? Like that's grant writing 101 or producing Mm -hmm. one-on-one. It's all about your budget. You've got your blue skies budget and then you've got your real budget, right? But what's in your real budget is what you actually think is important. And that's why I say I always pay people, you know? Like you put it in the budget, you will find the money for it. So if you just say, well, we can't afford to pay anyone and you put zeros in there, that means that actually you think it's acceptable not to pay people, right? But if you say that we're going to pay them a stipend of X, Y, and Z and you put it in your budget, then you will find the money to do it. Or you will find that that uh, production is unsustainable, right? So I think in the same way with organizations, your budget, your mission, like those are the bottom line things. Those tell you what is actually important to you. And if you're not living up to your mission, or if your mission needs to be updated, then those things need to happen. I mean, people act like their boards don't need. They're, they act like they're working on things like mm. every day, but it's just ridiculous, you know? So I'm really happy to see, you know, people shuffling around, people, you know, like stepping down, other people being promoted. I still wanna see um, more black people in leadership, more black queer people in leadership, um, more trans people in leadership, right? And not just your white trans men, right? Because when you are putting on a white trans men, a white trans man, when you're putting on a white trans man, you are putting on a white man, right? So when we remember that New York Mm -hmm. Times article about how trans writers are doing it for themselves, it's time for them to, like, let their voices be heard. And it was just three white trans men. That's just three white dudes. You're not doing anything Mm
2: -hmm.
3: new. (laughs) Right? (laughs) So, I mean, this is especially why it's important that we need people, like, with the um the liberal arts degrees, you know, and, and with the or, or not even a degree, but like the experience, right, of organizing and working with people. Um just having experience in STEM is not gonna get you there. Just being an accountant who looks at numbers and thinks that the status quo is okay, that's not gonna get you there. Um, and frankly um and frankly it's not acceptable, you know, anymore. Yeah.
1: This this blends beautifully into our next question like as an arts administrator there can often be a divide between the artists and the administrators and how do you bring your artistry and your identity to admin work I
3: always think about my experience of being an artist when I'm an admin and vice versa (laughs) um so when you're an admin you can't just be a robot right? When I worked at Brooklyn Arts Council in the grants department, one of the first things that I was given to do was to close previous years, meaning I needed to get grant reporting in. Well, then you have to ask yourself, why are these artists not submitting their grant reports, right? There's any number of reasons why why artists aren't doing it. They haven't finished their project. They don't know how to submit the report. They're feeling overwhelmed. They don't know how to use computers, et cetera. And um, that was a little difficult for me at first, I'll admit, because I can be very literal and like (laughs) rigid. But um, once I realized that it's like, oh, you're talking to an elder, this elder doesn't know how to use the computer. Just tell the elder to come in and bring Mm -hmm. their things. And then when they bring their things, it's just like they have all of their documentation. It's like overflowing, you know, it's just all paper, Um, (laughs) you know then you just type it in for them and you're done, right? So now they're not anxious anymore. They get their other check, right? You're done. Um, it's like sort of creating the human bridge. Uh, when I'm working with artists, you know, like I'm hiring actors or whatever as a playwright, I always ask questions like, how will they be paid? When will they be paid? Is someone going to communicate that to them? Who's communicating with the actor's? When will they get their break? Um, You know, I said sometimes Roots and River subsidizes things. Um, We take a humane approach, right? So sometimes if I've decided that we're doing a whole day and I know that not everybody's in the same place financially, sometimes Roots and River will order a pizza, you know, or (laughs) like I've literally brought my popcorn machine from home, like popcorn with kernels. (laughs) Popcorn machine and butter, you know? (laughs) Uh, Because I know that like popcorn is kind of like, you know, as long as you've got kernels, you've got like snacks continuing. Um, And. (laughs) No, honestly, it's like a cheap way to make sure that people are cared for. Um, Remembering that people are, they're like, they're animals. And I don't mean that in like a, a mean way, but like they have needs, right? They have bodies. And I always invite Mm -hmm. my artists, anybody I work with, even young people, especially young people, (laughs) like, if you need to use the bathroom, please just use the bathroom. You know, if you need some water, please get some water. If you're feeling triggered or you're having an issue, like, please take care of that or talk to me. Um, You know, if if you need food, listen, underrated blood sugar issues. And me, I have blood sugar issues. So I will give you a countdown. (laughs) <laughs> it's like, you know, until I'm like done though, right? So just trying to be mindful of all of those things, of the human elements, but also what's needed um in administration. I think that it can create this beautiful loop where you get everything you need. And you know what? When you take care of people, they're more willing to help you out if you forgot something, you know?
2: For sure, yeah. That's such a good point. I feel like people always talk about creating a safe space, but doesn't necessarily, it's not inclusive of like making sure your basic needs are met. <laughs> so it's, it's just good to, to call that out as well. Um, so we're going to go into. A section that we like to call Queering the Canon, and it's where we take a look at things that we either need to change or throw away. Um, and we wanted to talk to you a little bit about, well, you've gone on the record as being a Shakespeare detractor. Um, so we wanted to see if there are any Shakespeare works that you would like to go back and queer, or should we just throw them all away altogether? I don't what want do you to queer any
3: Shakespeare works. I want them to have a seat. I think that we should put them away for a while. Um, I just think that there's so much more in the canon, whatever like whatever that means. Shakespeare needs to have a break. <laughs> Is Shakespeare saving our lives in 2020? No. Um, I think back to high school. Every year we had at least one Shakespeare, you know, work that we had to read. Every year. And I could probably name all of them, actually. Uh, freshman year, it was Romeo and Juliet. Sophomore year, it was Julius Caesar. Let's see, junior year. Ooh, I don't remember that one.
2: We did Merchant of Venice Junior Year.
3: And I don't remember senior year either. Yeah.
2: But um I do
3: remember Julius Caesar because it was so what they asked us to do was so ridiculous. It stuck in my head to this day. We had to memorize that (laughs) famous speech, right?
2: We had to do that too. (laughs) They
3: had us write it down, like from memory. Why? What is that? <laughs> where do you need to do that ever? Like, and I've watched, listen, i watched all of the librarians. That show is not good. But, you know, <laughs> you got to watch things during the quarantine. But, like, even in shows like that or, like, I don't know, like that museum movie where, like, Nicolas Cage is just running around. I can't even think of, like, any oh, reason right. why one would need to, like, write down you know the friends roman countrymen speech like <laughs> why, why do you need to do that and that's not that's not theater like it's another thing if you get people up and have them perform it or like give the speech at least then you like i understand why you would have it memorized but like memorize it and then write it down and then you get graded on like how accurate it is what, what is that <laughs> like, I don't do that. So that's wacky. Um, Romeo and Juliet. They had us watch West Side Story, and then juxtaposed it with <laughs> with Romeo and Juliet. And like, while I kind of get it, and we were total nerds, and would like go around like snapping all the time.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, I just no. I think there are other things that could really. I mean, I know for a fact, because I've worked with young people and, um, you know, I worked at, uh, Grand Street Settlement and I was working with young people. They were adults. So I got, uh, that was exciting because I got to expose them to some work that maybe younger, <laughs> just, just a hair younger wouldn't have been appropriate. I asked before, I was like, do you have any <laughs> restrictions on content? You know and then um it was really exciting like i was introducing them to like booty candy and like an and not and like all Amazing. these plays and they're just like are you kidding me their minds are like, just
2: blown <laughs> you
3: know and then they're having conversations about how they feel about like the n-word you know and like is negro a slur which they felt like it was it's not i was like historically it's not but like i'll i'll respect your feelings on that because they're also very like woke, and I was like, okay, I want to, like, I want to respect you, your and your feelings on that. But Negro is not actually a slur. I just want you to know that. Um, so, um, just getting to, I, I just feel like there's so much potential of what they could do with like the theater slot, you know, besides giving it to Shakespeare. But you know,
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> is there another like? more classic or like canonical piece that you would be interested in queering?
3: I mean, I think that anything can be queered. One of my like most delightful experiences working with those young people at Grand Street Settlement is because they were all queer and trans. Um, We didn't have these debates about gender. You know, when I asked them who wants to play what, and they just said, and there was no questioning about whose gender or what, like whether or not it was appropriate for them you know they just like did it um and like sometimes it was too big of a chunk because of like literacy issues um and sometimes i would read for them just you know like because it tickled them right like the the pastor character <laughs> from booty candy i was like i'll read it also because it's a southern thing, you know awesome. so they weren't like really kid- i was like i'll read it for you and they were like oh my god like <laughs> but um <laughs> yeah i really like honestly moving forward teaching text i i really want to like queer anything so it's just like yeah you can play any character like as a little like kid i was just like i could play anything don't you limit me <laughs> you know <laughs> like, like girls but like right. my favorite my first role was i think squire trelawney in treasure island um it was a boy, but they were like, okay, you can be a girl. But also I was the voice of every man thrown overboard. Like I had to manually like, manly, like <laughs> yell but I would like yell from that stage every time. That's <laughs> awesome. Super queer, by the way, but like at the time I was just like it wasn't queer to me. I just like didn't want anybody limiting what I could do in theater, you know.
1: <laughs> That's amazing. Uh Okay, um, so our next section is called Queer Cultural Rex. So outside of theater, you know, you've talked about books a lot, but are, what are your other queer culture indulgences? Queer
3: cultural indulgences. What do I, do? I mean, oh goodness. Um, you know, <laughs> I started watching The Worst Cooks in America, and I, <laughs> I'm like kind of upset. Now I can't remember her name. What is her name? Anne? Oh god, I'm gonna look at that with, with the hair. With the hair? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I don't know her
3: name either. <laughs> and Burrell. There we go. Okay, I'm gonna start that again so I don't sound. So I started watching The Worst Cooks in America and I'm like a little bit obsessed with Shan uh, I can't say that. With Chef and Burrell. First of all, she's a Virgo. I figured this out and I was like, Oh my god, she's a Virgo she also has like queer <laughs> hair. I mean she has like tattoos, like there's, it's just, it's great. And um, when people hold their knives incorrectly, she colors on their finger with a sharpie. So, I'm kind of obsessed <laughs> with that, but I'm, I feel like I've also been learning some skills from her. Like as she berates other people, I'm Ooh. just like, oh my god, come and berate me! <laughs> oh, I know, yeah, it's, um, it's on Hulu. And yeah, I mean it's it's also just lovely because this is this is my queer thing. I feel like I watch any reality TV show, and then I'm explaining to you the emotional impact of it and why it's really important and deep, like the work that's happening, like any any like (laughs) I'm just like, yeah, you know, it's really deep. Like so, Worst Cooks in America. I mean, it's just really moving how like these people have. They have these anxieties, like, people are just, like, afraid of the kitchen or, like, haven't learned any skill whatsoever. There are people with, like, kids, you know, and you're just watching them, like, conquer their fears. And she's just kind of this, like, queer mama who's just like, no, you're doing it wrong, but also, like, loving when they (laughs) need it. And then they, like, learn all these skills, and they're so proud of themselves once they make it towards the end, like, their loved ones come in. And then they're making gourmet like, stuff. It's Aww. really like human evolution and like an emotional process. And I'm over here like dissecting it. Like, oh, my God. I can see their <laughs> character art. I <laughs> oh, <Yeah>. love
2: that. <laughs> yeah, Happy endings. For sure.
3: So like that's what you mean I'm just that's like great. watching a lot of cooking shows. What else do I like? I like mystery shows. I was watching a lot of murder shows, but I kind of got over that. Um, <laughs> because I like the mystery element. You know, I like things that are complex. If I can see, mm-hmm. um, if I can mm-hmm. watch something and not see where it's going, that's pretty amazing to me. Speaking of which, Dirk mm-hmm. Gently's Holistic Detective Agency, amazing. It's based on. I don't- douglas adams i I forgot all about douglas adams he wrote the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy right he wrote all this like crazy stuff that's like like bonkers (laughs) and so there's this tv show that's based on this work of his and it's just like it's crazy it's also on hulu there are two seasons and it's just like it's queer it's weird things are blowing up like there's like Animals and other animals, they're, like, talking to, like, dogs and, like, there are people running around. I don't know what's going on. It's amazing. Oh, that
1: sounds right up my alley. I wanted to watch that. (laughs) Sounds great.
2: <laughs> okay. So I have a lot to watch now. Um, <laughs> we talked a little bit uh, about roots and river earlier, but could you tell us a little bit, um, can you tell us how people can donate or contribute time or what we can? Sure. To support? So,
3: um, roots and river productions has a website. It's rootsandriver.com that's rootsandriver.com and people get a little confused, but it's roots, plural, river, singular. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, basically you can donate there. Um, we're always looking for people who can do like, sort of a sustained um, donation, so like monthly, but like one-offs are great. Uh, yeah, we do we do some rad things, you know. Like we like to try to make sure that our um, disabled members like make it home, you know. So <laughs> sometimes we buy gifts gift cards for um cab fare for our members etc you know shooting for the the future of theater
1: yeah everyone check them out and how do people follow um, so, you online <laughs> i
3: my website is azure osborne lee with no hyphen dot com um really if you like type azure osborne you know like i'll pop up i'm the only one. So, (laughs) I do Google myself periodically to make sure there's not unsavory bits on the internet because I don't have (laughs) (laughs) plausible (laughs) deniability. I'm
1: also on Twitter
3: as Azure Deezer. So that's my first name: A Z U R E D E E Z U R E, Um, and I'm on Instagram as the Switch Witch.
1: Amazing. What a thank great you. handle. I'm, all, I'm oh
3: embarrassed, but I've never changed it. So,
1: never do. Yeah. You're not don't yeah. be
2: embarrassed with this group. That's for sure. That's <laughs> awesome.
1: <laughs> well, well, thank you so much for talking with us today. So are there any like final thoughts you want to share with These anybody? These are
3: tough times. So, I feel like just supporting one another in whatever ways you can and like feeding into yourself as well like that's that's a message for myself as well you know because it's it's really easy to start feeling broke down out here so <laughs> um yeah and i'm excited for when we can re-emerge into the world
2: Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us and share us with your friends. We'd love to hear from you. If you have
1: any queer culture recommendations or other ideas about how to clear the canon, you can call us and leave us a voicemail at 845-445-9251
2: or email us at thesisonjoan at gmail.com. And you can follow us on social. We're on Instagram and Twitter at thesisonjoan.
1: Until next time, keep it queer. Not that it'd be that hard for y'all to do.
3: (laughs) And that's me, like, also getting back to my life.
2: Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Holly, what are you doing over there?
1: (laughs) We have some, like, motorcyclists who like to zoom by, but...
3: Yeah, I'm always like, there's a ghost. There's a ghost
1: in the machine. But, you know, that's, that's cool.
3: That's, that's cool, too. Um, <laughs> especially when I start thinking about theater, because I think theaters are some of the most haunted places in the world. Like, that's why we won't even name certain works. And, like, you know, I also have really strong feelings about rituals that are built into theater, because it's like, what's the difference between a ritual and, like, pretending you're doing a ritual? Hmm. So I feel like people be doing witchcraft and whatnot on stage and then they don't clean it up properly. I feel like they're just ghosts (laughs) flying around. But that's a different matter.